Our scripture reading for today is from Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Laurel. Well, uh, again, if you uh, are here with us, you've been here a couple weeks um, or even longer, we've been looking at what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon that Jesus actually gave um, that was probably about 12 minutes long, which many of you would wish our sermons, my sermon was more of like that, uh, but it won't be, just a heads up, uh, but he, uh, he gave it, and it's in a book where uh, Matthew was a tax collector, and he was not somebody who would write a gospel, in fact, he was somebody who really was into kind of the daily life of uh, Rome, he collected taxes, oftentimes that was a profession that was seen as uh, pretty horrible, and as a traitor to his own people, Jewish people. And um, it's interesting because I'm overwhelmed a little bit, even as we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's a part of um, really practical life of how does a Christian actually live in it. I've been faced even more as I've taught this, I've preached through this for years, even this passage, um, really the relevance of Christianity. I, I, I'm a little bit, and I have to say this up front, maybe I'm going to lose you now, but I, I, I'm a little bit overwhelmed with the fact that Christianity seems to be such just an extra tool in our toolbox, that it helps us uh, when we need to sometimes, uh, the church can be helpful sometimes, uh, but, but maybe is this somewhat of a, a ritual for us that we do? There, look, Nashville is a place where there is a church on every corner, and so it becomes this place where religion and ritual of Christianity just becomes rote. And I, I, I've really been faced with a lot of realities in my own life, personal struggle, as well as some of yours that you've allowed me to be a part of. And it forces the question to say, is this really, I mean, does this really connect? Or, or are they just kind of words that, that are mere quips? Uh, in, in the last several years, um, We've seen kind of a turn uh, and description and practice of Christianity. It's called 
moral therapeutic deism. Some of you in here may have heard that or read about it. Now, it's not actually a, a, a critique of therapy so much. It's actually saying this is a new worldview. It's a worldview essentially saying that, 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 that Christianity and religion is one of those, and Christianity has adopted a lot of this. It actually was studied and seen in youth ministries. Those are, that's where it originated. And it talks about moral, meaning, you know, if we break it apart, moral meaning that we're just to be good. We're to be good, better people. Therapeutic, that we're supposed to be well-adjusted, relationally, connecting. And, and, then, and then deism is, is uh, a, an older uh, concept of God's relationship to this world and to us, essentially saying that God is a very distant God. He created, he put us here, he gave us natural tendencies, but he is very uh, apart from us when it comes to interaction, when it comes to kingship in this world, his actual hands into the everyday of this world. And I find that to be fascinating. Listen to what one person wrote about it. Moralistic therapeutic deism has little to do with God or a sense of divine mission in the world. It offers comfort, bolsters self-esteem, helps solve problems, and lubricates interpersonal relationships by encouraging people to do good, feel good, and keep God at an arm's length. And I have to read that, and I have to, I've, I've read about this before, and I've thought, but the, more, the older I get, and the more I interact with just the pragmatism of life, it really is that. It is so easy for us to read that and to say, you know what, is what we're doing in here moral therapeutic deism, or is there something different? Especially when it comes to a passage like this where Jesus actually says, hey, don't worry, don't be anxious. Well, okay, don't be anxious. Jesus, is that kind of the spiritual way for you to help us? How do we unpack something like that? What, what do we do? That's a huge thing for him to say because anxiety and worry is the epidemic of our culture today. Every, anyone would tell you that. Every one of us in this room suffers in some form of anxiety and worry, whether you are on medication, which, by the way, I think is a great thing, or you are in therapy, by the way, I think is a great thing, or you're just dealing with it on maybe surface level tendencies. But how do we handle that? Is this a spiritualism? Anxiety and worry attach themselves to everything in life, don't they? It's the thing that really attaches itself. So if that's true, how does Christianity, how does Jesus saying, hey, do not be anxious. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, about life. Hey, how do we deal with that? Within the realities that we actually are anxious about things. <laughs> what are we going to do today? How am I going to handle this week? What am I going to do about my job? What am I going to do about my family? What am I going to do about that next move I'm making? What about the move I just made here? How am I going to deal with those things? How does Christianity fit? So I think it, it, it really, as Luther said, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said it best when his dear uh, understudy, Philip Melanchthon, would get anxious, severely anxious and worried, and he would put his hand on his shoulder and just say, Philip, cease to be king. It's time to learn to cease to be king. What does that mean? Two things in this passage Jesus is really wanting us to see as he addresses anxiety. One is the kingdom of worry and anxiety. And two is the kingdom of God. Just simply those things. Kingdom of worry and the kingdom of God. Simply that. <clears throat> as I said a minute ago, it, 
Anxiety and worry are really called by many, and if you ask psychologists today, they would be the epidemic of today. I mean, it's an easy thing. We have things, uh, there are many, many websites, many, many psychological you know, articles, things like that. Anxiety and worry is all over the place. So how do we address that? What is, what is different about Jesus? Because it's easy to come to a passage like this and think, well, and maybe you're here this morning and you're kind of coming back into Christianity or you've heard this passage before and you're kind of like, oh, I'm just supposed to like deal with my anxiety in a more spiritual way. Well, is that really what Jesus is getting at? Because we can over-spiritualize this passage and anxiety and think that Jesus is saying you just need to be detached You just need to be kind of spiritually passive, like remove yourself. He's not saying that at all. He's actually not. He's saying the troubles enough are tomorrow in verse 34, even the end of this. You got more troubles tomorrow. Don't worry about those. Worry about today. That you have trouble. Trouble is a reality. Worry is a reality. Anxiety is a reality. All through the Bible, it talks about anxiety. This is actually not a modern problem epidemic. This is a global colossal epidemic of human proportion, because in the Old Testament, you see this over and over, God saying, do not worry, here's your anxiety, let me address it, and God doesn't just say, don't worry, and then leave it there, nor does Jesus, he enters into it. There's a great book uh, called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, it sounds like it would address this really well, right, Uh, it was written by a man named Uh, Scazzaro, who lives in uh, New York, a great pastor up there, he says this, top 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Here's number two on that list. Ignoring your emotions of anger, sadness, and fear, which anxiety is connected to. The Bible is filled with commands to not be anxious about anything, but to minimize or deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be the image bearers of our personal God. See, it's easy for us when we come to a passage like this, or if you're coming here and you're kind of listening with new ears or fresh ears, kind of curious about Christianity or or renewing it, in a sense, in your life, to to over-spiritualize this, to minimize your anxiety that Jesus is saying, let's minimize it. But what happens when you do that? It, It has to go somewhere else. You you eventually get anxious and it leaks sideways onto other things. You can't just minimize it. Spirit, Jesus isn't trying to minimize your anxiety. And he's not saying here either that, it's, that your anxiety is anti-therapy or anti-medication. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. He goes deeper than that. He goes beyond that. There's actually even a healthy type of anxiety. I mean, health, anxiety can even be a healthy thing. It can be something if we minimize it too much and don't have fear about realities in our life, then we're losing the understanding of what it means to actually be human. That we actually do have troubles, as Jesus says. There are things, he's not saying, don't worry about food, clothing, be passive about it. Well, we can't just, he's not saying don't be active in following to try and get these things. You have to wear clothing, you have to eat food, you have to live life. There is a healthy amount of that. But what Jesus is addressing is the deeper thing of that. What does it do? Let me give you an example of this. It is a very common practice and problem on campuses across America that Adderall is the consistent drug of choice. For, for students, and many of you in here are educators or work on campuses, you know this very well. Adderall, it's interesting, if you read the front pages of, of certain newspapers, 
uh, uh, student newspapers on campus. It'll talk about the rising, you know, wonders of education on the campus, the greatness of the students. This freshman class is going to be stronger than the next. And then right when you turn the page, it'll say Adderall abuse is up. Why is that? And if you talk to students that abuse it or go into it, the reason Adderall is a drug of choice is because it helps performance. It helps the anxiety in the deeper problems of performance, of doing work, of making it the next day, of being able to do the thing of binge play, binge work, binge party, do the things that you want to do. Adderall becomes that. It becomes something to continue to build the kingdom that you want because worry is driving you there. It's saying the only way that I can make myself successful, to make this life for myself, to build this structure of who I need to be here so when I graduate, this is who I need to be there, is if I have this that gets me through it. That is not a far cry. It may be on a campus, but for many of us, we all have our drug of choice. How do we all medicate our anxiety? Every one of us in this room medicates our anxiety in some way. Every one of us in this room has anxiety and worry, but how do we medicate it? Because anxiety and worry force you and I to ask the question, what will happen to me if? What will happen to me if I'm not this successful? What will happen to me if I don't produce this in my job? What will happen to me if? And we always answer that with our own work and worry. Worry provides us. It's like an engine for us to do it. C.S. Lewis talked about this in that great book called Screwtape Letters when he talks about devils saying if they really want to address how to defeat human beings and how to defeat them from actually following God. This is what he said. The devils say this about us. There's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy, that is God. He wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. Isn't that the practical nature? Isn't that when it gets pragmatic, when we think about the reality of Christianity connecting to life, we easily leave these doors and go, well, I just need to do what works here. Christianity, does it really work here? Does it really work in the sense of, Making my life what it is? Isn't this why Jesus here says in verse 27, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? There's a, it says, in some translations, it may say cubit, but what he's actually saying is an hour, expanding your life, expanding who you are. Can any of you add a single hour to your life by doing worry? Yet we all believe we can. I I truly believe, this is a little bit about me, I truly believe sometimes that if if I push through, I can do it. I, I really believe oftentimes if I'm good enough, I can do it. Growing up and how I did, taking on anxiety and worry, I can, oh, I can metabolize that. What a, what a false thing. To think that I can metabolize my own anxiety of making, creating this kingdom for myself and in every way being the defender of it. Doesn't it just create more worry? Us creating these worlds for ourselves where it's practical. This is what works here. This is what works here. This is what works here. And Christianity may be the best tool in my tool belt, but you know what? It's not always the one I need. Jesus is saying, 
Wake up. You think that you can add to your life, but you can't. What is it doing? It's devaluing us. Anxiety and worry force us to ask the first question, what will happen to me if? But here's what it goes further to. It says, it asks us the question, I will love you if. Isn't this why Jesus starts at the very beginning? And he says this in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow, reap, store in barns? And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Isn't anxiety at its core, at its root, why we're building these kingdoms for ourselves? Is because we're trying to answer the question of our own value. Am I valuable? And I can tell you over and over pragmatically for me, and I know it's true for you, that it's so easy to go through those doors and out into this week and just prove your value. I must prove my value. Uh, look, it, it, it just, I'd want to prove my value up here. It's just as easy for me as a pastor to prove my value, even speaking of these things, as much as it is for you. And, and maybe you're here again. I want to appeal to you here this morning. Many of you may be here listening to this and going, I don't know. Get to the root of what answers the question, how you're really valued. And you will know where you build your life of anxiety. It gives you a life of false control, of power. What you think will make you someone. We live in a town, look, this week, coming up, there are three massive things happening in this city. One is the Preds, or in the Stanley Cup, go Preds. The Predators, if you watch hockey. You gotta be here somewhere, people. Okay. Second thing is Bonnaroo, one of the biggest concerts that happens right outside. And the third thing is CMA. There's about to be a, a flood of people coming into this city. There's actually so much so that, that the city actually can't keep up. Even, even some of, the, some of the, the players for the other team, the Penguins, were having a hard time. How do we book hotels in Nashville during this week. Why do I say that? This is quickly becoming a city to come to. Even last night, watching the Preds game on TV, all they kept talking about was how amazing we are. Celebrities everywhere, people here. This is, the Pre this is Nashville, welcome to Nashville. It's a great city, I love our city, but how do we actually live and love in this city? Because it could easily be a place where we find our value in making something of ourselves. It is becoming quickly that. And it's not a far cry. Even if you live in a small city, it is that. You can find your value in, in, in smaller things. But anxiety and worry attaches itself to everything. So how do we understand the kingdom of God? If that's the kingdom of anxiety and what it does and what it creates in a false sense of value and faith, what is, what is the kingdom of God? I think it's interesting here when he talks about that seeking first the kingdom of God. It's actually a fascinating phrase he uses. He even mentions here that anxiety creates little faith. Do you know what the, the word anxiety is actually a word for distraction. The language, if you, if, you, if you define it in Greek, it actually means distracted, separated, divided. It means it's like a person trying to look 
in two directions at the same time and they can't actually see. You ever tried to do that when you're driving? You do that with your phone? Look at your phone while you're driving? You can't see two things at once. You've driven behind people like that. Maybe you are that person that got honked at this week because you're trying to look at two things at once and you're driving 12 and a 40, you know? Because you're trying to see two things at once and you can't see. That is exactly what it's talking about. And here's what's fascinating. Over and over, the Bible uses creation as a witness to say, let me teach you about worry. Even the prophets, if you read the prophets, which many of us skip through, you know, Amos, all these names, these guys wrote about this very thing. They said, you're distracted, people. And they use creation as actually a witness, almost like in a courtroom setting, to say, let's put creation up on the stand to testify against how you actually live your life. Jesus does that. Think about this. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He goes again to talk about the flowers, 28. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, the one who owned half the world, who was glorious. It said that when Queen Sheba actually met Solomon, historical figures, met Solomon, that her breath actually came out of her. She could not speak. She was in such humility before his splendor and wisdom. And yet creation is greater than that. Creation as a witness. Look, there's a, let me give you a more modern view of this. A great, one of my favorite poets, uh, Robert Burns, who's actually wrote, you know, the old anxiety for all acquaintance that we sing every year. He actually wrote that. He was a Scottish poet. I won't read his poem in Scottish, although I'd like to do that. Um, but he wrote a poem as he was, fe- he was farming. <clears throat> and he hit a mouse, a, a nest of a mouse, and the mouse scurried out. And just like a great poet would, he stops, and he's like, oh, mouse. You know, he's, he's inspired, and he starts writing. He wrote this poem called To a Mouse. And as he watched this mouse... He was stunned by the fact that his hands are on the plow. Here he is working himself to death that the mouse leaves its home only to go and build another house for that day. And he begins to compare himself in that moment to the mouse. Almost like Annie Annie Dillard, another great uh, poet and and, uh, thinker of today, writes about creation, these pictures of, wait, this mouse is not worried only about now. And what it creates, it humbled him, he said, Robert Burns did in his greatest Scottish dialect, to be humbled in the moment and to drive him back to that plow and to push it once again and to feel differently, even about his own work and about the dependence that he has being a creature. The kingdom of God is saying here that you and I are dependent creatures. Day to day, we must Look to him by faith. Look, why is anxiety a a word for distracted and divided and separated? Because the word faith actually means focus. We often think of faith as something qualitative or quantitative. Actually, faith, and even the word little faith, it looks like a quantity, but it never is. Faith is actually a focus on an object. And whether you have more faith or Less faith is about your gaze upon that object. The reason anxiety rips you away from that because you're like 
look, trying to look both ways, but cannot see. This is why Jesus is over and over, when he says little, oh, you of little faith to his disciples, to all of those, he's saying, you're seeing, oftentimes they're in a boat and there's a storm, right? Or in these moments, little faith. And he mentions this line, he says, for even the pagans run after these things. And I think this is a really good place to stop for a second because when we read that, we think pagans. Are these like people that are worshiping you know, funny things? And what? No, a pa- a, what it means pagan here, and Jesus is actually applying it to us, is to say that it's easy for what a pagan is, is means to live your life more according to the world, pragmatically. That what works, works. And he, Jesus is warning us and actually saying, we have little faith because we talk about Jesus and have a good game and talk of having a good game, but we actually functionally, when it comes to life, we run after the same things. What makes us different? What makes what we're doing here any different? That's what Jesus is asking. <clears throat> Look, in two weeks or so, I'm gonna be going to the beach. And um, I cannot wait. It's my, it's my place, my respite. I love it. And I'm so excited. And, and the thing that I, I look forward to when I go is when, when we just get there and we go down 331 and we cross that big bridge. Some of you know this, you know, because everybody in Nashville now goes to that part, of, that part of Florida. So you see people driving this way and you're, like, you're always looking at them driving back to Nashville and you're like, gosh, I'm glad I'm not that person right now. And then when we drive back, we always see people driving this way and we're like, gosh, I wish I was that person. And you drive over that bridge and I'll tell you, I literally, physically feel my anxiety and my blood pressure go down when I cross that bridge. And here's what scares me now after studying this again. After I've studied this for years and I've crossed that bridge for years, do you know how easy it is for me to say to that bridge and to the beach and listen to that bridge and beach saying to me, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. How much do I look to that to ease my weariness and heavy laden life more than Jesus? I'm not saying it's bad to have a vacation. I'm not saying it's bad to go to the beach. I love it. I won't ever stop loving it. But I realize there's a functional part of me that is so easily giving that power to something else to say, I can ease your anxiety, even good things. Do you see how we do it? Do you you see that? That we build our own kingdom using even our anxiety as a motivator. We even motivate ourselves by anxiety. If I don't get this done, I got, we worry. Because worry is easily tangible. It tastes good to us sometimes because it gives us this strength, this power that we think we can do it. And yet what we're doing on the, on, with that and on the flip side is actually saying, if I do this, I'll have rest. Jesus is saying there's more. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness and these things will be added to you. Do you notice that's why Jesus says here, he starts from a lesser to a greater in his argument. 
He says, look, the birds need these things. They worry, but you are much more valuable to him. Your value to him is infinite. The word even value is a Greek word meaning quality. Your quality is greater than the worry and an anxiety that drives you to build those things, whether it's in food and life. Notice he's not talking about the massive things. He's talking about the everyday stuff. And that's what even scholars are saying about our culture now, the epidemic of stress and anxiety. What used to be normal stressors have become intense anxiety issues in our culture because it's about just the everydayness. And yet Jesus is saying it's in the small parts that you are of great value. He goes to that extreme. He says, it is this. It is a qualitative word saying you are of quality and of having faith means to look back to Jesus. The focus, where is it? To understand your value, to know how valuable you are, to move away from the things that build your kingdom of worry and anxiety, to have faith, a faith that's not little, not distracted, not divided, but grows, means you focus back on who Jesus is. It means you turn your gaze back. I just finished coaching uh, Little League Baseball for my son. And I was a head coach, and I got to coach all these boys. And and when you do that, it was for a good two months, Lots of baseball, lots of intense coaching. I'm, I'm the one doing the pitching every week. And so I see their personality and who they are and every single time they come up to bat. It's amazing, actually. I really loved it. Because you could see who they were. And what was fascinating to me, every time this boy, not one, but this boy meaning any boy, this boy would come to the plate and he would warm himself up. He'd maybe, you know, the plate might be here and he'd turn this way. And I'd be like, no, 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 put your feet here. You know, I'd have to really coach him through. But what he always did, he would hear, he would start his eyes looking in the crowd to find his mom and, or his dad. Or he would sit there and hear their voice and do this and nod without fail. And oftentimes I was saying, no, 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 eyes here. Look at me, you know, like, you're going to get hit with this ball. But isn't that the deepest part of the reality of who we are? We look to the one that's greater than us to give us value, to speak value so that we can focus. Why did they look there? Because the only way they could get to the plate and focus on the ball was until they found their mom or dad, until they heard their voice, then they could calm and then they could swing. Literally. Isn't that exactly what Jesus is saying? Until we continue to find, to look back. It's not that we don't look at what's in front of us, but until we continue looking back to who we are in him, we cannot focus on what is now. It is consistent in the reality. Building, it is about his kingdom. It's looking to the value that we have in him, the one who is greater, so that we can then turn our focus on who he is. That's exactly what this table is about. This table is about that very thing. This table is about two things, faith and value. This table is about the fact that we have a value 
that is not measured in our own body and blood. We want our body and blood to be the measure of how we have solved our anxiety and worry, and yet Jesus has come to die for it. You are valuable. There is no amount of opinion that you can have to come to this table and receive that warrants this. It's not about your opinion. Praise God, it's about his work. It's done, it's finished, he says. There is no more you can do. And it is about the fact that your faith grows because you take this meal. You can't just come and smell it. You can't just come and kind of be around it or maybe touch the bread or touch the wine. You have to ingest it. Why? Because the only way for your faith to grow is if you take him in. Jesus grows us internally through this meal. So we come to it by faith. We come to it in him. If you're here this morning and you find yourself unwilling to build, to live in his kingdom, but wanting to consistently build yours without it. You're running, you find yourself running for those things and thinking, I really don't need this. I'd encourage you to sit in your seat or come forward and fold your hands and receive prayer. Think about this though. Think about the value that you receive from the kingdom you're building and about the value that is proven in body and blood here. It is for you. For those of you that would trust in him, come, bring your anxiety, bring your worry, and taste and see that it is dealt with over and over and over. Let's stand together.